You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for tuning in. We're here to help. You are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. Our job is to bring you practical, tactical expertise that you can use right now, or maybe in an hour. You're about to hear the recording of a live call with an expert panel, and you're more than welcome to join these live calls. Just zip on over to nonprofitproblemsolver.com to register. Here in episode 10, our theme is programs and services, and we're flying without our usual panel format today in place of a more interactive group conversation. We take things right back to basics, firstly clarifying the confusion and overlap between events, programs, and event-based programming. And of course, it's 2020, so we cover the pivot to virtual, and we pick up on the fact that no matter what your programs and services are, or who they serve, we have to address racial equity with intention, and that often means bringing your board closer to your programs. Take a listen. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver 10. This episode is on programs and services. We'll be uh, switching things up a little bit today. We are without a panel, and instead we're going to have a a more free-form conversation with the people on the call about programs and services. We fully expect that uh, the two signature events or features of 2020, not not even halfway through the year in terms of COVID and uh, a greater awareness and confrontation with our own uh, history an experience with racial equity will feature in the conversation. Um, but we're going to start with uh, Kay, who's um, joining us and is relatively new to nonprofits. And you had a, 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 a I guess, a, a, a basic question just on understanding how programs are different from uh, other things that nonprofits do. Kay, do you want to give us your question? Yes. Um... I do understand that there is such a such thing as a, a program and there is a such thing as an event and funders usually will fund programs versus events. And I just needed to know, like, what's the, di- I thought they were the same thing. I don't, I didn't know, <laughs> but I was curious as to like, how do you structure a program? So like donors will be like, okay, I want to fund that, you know, like there's a the dynamics of a, of a program what needs to be involved and what, you know, what am I looking for? I don't know. Okay. So an event typically is a fundraising event. It's a, it's a one-off or short-term experience designed to raise funds for the nonprofit. Uh, There are, uh, there are nonprofits that, that uh, do events as part of their programming, but typically in, in nonprofits, when we refer to the, we use the term event, that's typically what we're talking about. Programming, uh, programs, and why this is called programs and services is they're often used interchangeably 
to refer to the actual work that the nonprofit does. So an event might, might raise funds. Those funds would be put towards undertaking that programming for the people that the nonprofit serves. Okay. So do you want to tell us a bit about your nonprofit or your nonprofit idea? Well, what it is, is it's got, we're going we're gonna to be faith-based, and it's going to be an after-school and summer program for at-risk youth, and I'm in Florida. Okay. And I know that, I know when it, when it refers to faith-based, I know that's a whole different set of laws, so I'm working on that also. <laughs> but um, that, that's the gist of it, and I, you know, just the after-school with for middle and high schoolers, an after-school program. Okay, so the so the the program in your case, the programming would be the after school uh, um, sessions, uh, mm-hmm. and then you may have multiple programs. So you might have, mm-hmm. for example, a middle school program. You might mm-hmm. have uh, a an elementary school program, or you might mm-hmm. have a program that's arts focused or or something. And they may or may not have different funding streams. Okay, great. So that's that, is that. Are you clear on what the difference between program and events is? I am. I understand. Program is more. It's like you said. It's like a one-time deal. Program is something that we're going to. I guess that's long term. But the other the other difference is that uh, events are typically something that you spend a lot of time and energy to host, so that people pay an admission fee, for example, or right. you have other right. you know other things going on at the event to raise funds. Right, and then okay. those funds uh, are put towards the programming. So your programming will have uh, funding from multiple sources, ideally. So it could be grants. It will be also donations uh, from the event or direct donations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have corporate sponsors, legacy gifts, uh, and so on. So you okay. want to have a mix of income streams all supporting your programming. Okay. Thank you. I get it. Uh, that's okay. Uh, Diana, did you have a, uh, any particular questions that you'd like to raise around programming or services? Well, it's interesting. Um, I come from both worlds in a sense. Hey, I, I ran a after school outreach program for 14 years here in Redlands and, um, it was ran by, it was a church's community outreach. So I kind of know both sides of what you're, you're facing. Um, just like Kev said, keep focus on the word program. Um, because the next step of my life was I now run a, a nonprofit called Mansion Memories. And we do magical day events for kids in crisis and their families at a beautiful mansion here in my hometown, Redlands. Wow. The um, situation is, is that now that we're doing these magical day events, which are all storybook theme and, um, the kids are all nominated that attend. We work with over 30 agencies. We've been classified as an event nonprofit. Right. And it has made fundraising, uh, well, really grants challenging. But um, since COVID, we have now switched over, or as everybody says, pivot. And we are now um, a virtual uh, nonprofit in a sense is what um the story behind it is, is that one of our characters, Mad Hatter, gave me a phone call. And, you know, since we basically went dark when all this happened, he called me up and he said, Diana, what do you think about um, putting on a quarantine party on our social media? 
And he said, I'll invite some of my princess friends and we'll put on, we'll do something like this and just stay active because we wanted to keep out there. And so we did that. It was a, a great success. And so um, now they're doing it every other week. And then on the opposite weeks, we've come up with what we call making it magical series where people come and they do um, different things for the kids to experience from sign language, um, learning a song, art. Um, we have a magician coming on. So, and then we started doing, adding other things so that we stay current in the public eye here. And now we're doing um, drive-through pop-up popsicle parties with our characters giving out the popsicles to the families that are coming through. So basically we have turned, and we've got a couple other things, Zoom character calls going out now. Um, a character care um, connection with postcards. So now we're doing all these programs and my grant writer is absolutely loving it. And we are now qualifying for more grants than we ever have in the five years that we've been a nonprofit. That's so, great. So um, I am a, a walking testimony of that, Kay. <laughs> that wow. It can be that done. That is awesome. Yes. Yeah. How so awesome. You reminded me, reminded me, Diana, as you were speaking, uh, the example that was uh, I couldn't think of when, when we were speaking with Kay was uh, things like Make-A-Wish Foundation and others that, that use a specific event uh, for, for their programming, uh, mm -hmm. if you will. And, and so that's where I guess they might, they might overlap. And that was example, but, but you've got another example, which I think is, is a, a good way of showing uh, the difference. Uh, Diana, how were, were you able then to convince grant makers that your event-based programming was in fact programming and not uh, an event because it's not a fundraising event? Well, uh, it's interesting. I caught that when you said that, Kevin. And um, it wasn't until literally our fifth year um, that I realized that that probably was the reason why we weren't getting some of the grants um, was because of the wording that we used. And so um, last year we still received a grant from, um, it's called Sam Manuel, it's a casino here in town. Um, but they told us we only qualified for their lowest grant. And, I, and, and that's when I discovered the wording was a real issue because like you just said, we are, we, we call our, our magical days events because they have that feel to them. You know what I'm saying? It has right. they're, they're, feel they are event. Your programming is event based. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But it's not fundraising events. No. It's, it's no. a service type event. It's an impactful event for exactly. the, the community you serve. Right. So we're 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 in that moment of transitioning the mindset, not only with um, our funders, but with our don't with our volunteers um, and trying to get everybody to say program instead of event. Right. Um, and we do them three times a year, and we do two magical days on each state. So we technically do six programs a year. And when we started, we were only doing it once a year. So we have increased greatly. But since COVID, we have increased um, our impact more by being virtual and doing these other types of things. Um, it's been interesting. Um, but I, I know that we'll go back to our magical day events because they're so special. And mm -hmm. the kids that we serve and the families, we call them, um, they're, they're, they're 
kids in crisis. So they can either be going through a hardship, a loss, or a sickness, and it can be the child or a family member. So um, it does kind of fall under that make-a-wish idea, mm-hmm. um, but with our own little magical spin. That sounds awesome. Is that is that helpful, Kay? Yes, it is. Very. I was writing as she was talking. That is very helpful. And it's just very sweet. And it's different. That's what I like. And are you are your is your after school? Are you planning something every day, Monday through Friday, presumably once school is back in session? Absolutely. That's another thing I thought about too. What what if it? You know, I don't know now. Now that COVID nineteen, but it was would have been every day. Yes, after school. All right. Uh, have you been in touch with other after school providers? I have. Okay, because they're we're all making the same adjustments, but mm-hmm. uh, I can put you in touch with others if 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 if. Oh, if that would be, be wonderful as well. Uh, Diana, I just wanted to ask you. You raised something about um, how COVID, the 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 pivot or the change yes. to virtual. I got that word from you guys. <laughs> yeah, has has helped uh, with 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 impact, and I I just wanted to uh, understand that a bit better. I can I can see on one hand it's it's cheaper to deliver the the events, but it's a different experience for the families and children. What feedback have you got from them, and what other indications do you have that the impact is better or greater? Well, numbers we can tell by the followers that tune in on our social media when we mm-hmm. do we do our. Um, our quarantines and our making it magical events every Sunday at four o'clock. Um, the majority of them are on our Facebook so that they're recorded. But when we do our quarantines, we have to do them on Instagram. So that way we can have two people sharing a screen. So if you go to mansionmemories.org or our Mansion Memories Facebook, you can see all of our events. Um, so it, it's kind of nice. We can mm-hmm. tell the impact by the stats that the social media gives us. And so we're seeing tangibly that, also the comments that people make through the event. We can see that. And so our characters and our presenters have interaction with them. That's fantastic. And what yes. what what, um, what what feedback have you had from the, the children and families about the difference in the experience being virtual well, I mean, as opposed to in I, person? It's interesting, Kevin, because right now, the one population that is probably being most underserved and not really anything much going on for them are our kids because everything Mm -hmm. has been cut off and their world has been totally, totally rocked. I mean, they Mm -hmm. they are being, you know, daily reminded of, you know, how they can't go outside or go see a friend or go to school or, you know, people are getting sick. It's a scary, scary time for kids. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that as, you know, people know about it, but they're not tangibly doing something about it. So this is something that um, we're not only reaching our town here in Redlands, California, but we're reaching the country because we have one of our last week, our presenter was from New York. He's a Broadway um, star that started out here in California and now is in New York. And he was the one that did our um, sign language. He taught a uh, ASL song to one of Mr. Rogers' songs. And so not only was he touching people across the nation, but we were also, you know, reaching out to people who, you know, sign language. 
So this has given us such a diverse um, forum doing things virtually. Um, but the tangible touch is still very important to us in our, our mission. So that's why we came up with the drive-through pop-up popsicle parties um, mm -hmm. that we invite our agencies that nominate kids to attend our events. And so we're still trying to reach out on all levels, but um, it's, it's been amazing the lives that we've been able to touch and stay in contact with and make families and kids have something to look forward to and be excited about. Um, the families, and that's what I loved when they came to the popsicle party and the characters were giving them their popsicles. Um, they're so excited to have somewhere to go and yeah. something to do. So it's, it's been different. Well, but it's are you are you capturing those drive-throughs uh, on on video to 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 leverage your social media? It was something that sounded like you learned. You didn't realize perhaps how how uh, engaging some of that material would be. Now that you can keep it on your Facebook and Instagram feeds, you know, little by little. We are, you know, we first started doing something just to, you know, just to do one week with the Hatter and had such an impact with that quarantine party. We thought, oh my goodness, what else can we do? And it's just been a snowball. In fact, you know, when the quarantine started, um, no, the COVID started for three weeks, I was, it was very dark for us and me thinking five years, almost eight years worth of work was done because of all the restrictions and now we're just going full on and so yes we are doing videos we're um pictures if you go to our facebook you'll see all our things we're getting everything recorded so that we can expand it bigger um but it's one of those things as you you do something it uncovers and then all of a sudden you're going oh we should do this and that and that so i'm open to any suggestions truly in fact i started doing your classes what is this the eighth week now uh, tenth. Tenth week. I started like around the ninth week and I have not missed one since. And I tell everybody about this, that this is, this forum is what has gotten me through this mm. whole experience. Truly. Oh, well, I'll appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. That's good to know. It's been wonderful, Kay. Everybody, I appreciate the whole panel. Yeah. yeah. Last week yeah. tore me up. That was such a good week too. That was really good. Yeah. So, and 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 last week, Kay, you you weren't uh, didn't join us, but the we were trying to uh, understand uh, the uh, immediate impact, and then and thinking more broadly about how uh, issues around racial equity and white supremacy have affected the nonprofit sector and some of the services that we provide. And last week, it was talent and and staff mm -hmm. development. Uh, and it may be uh, an opportune time, uh, and Diane, I'm, I'm, I'm picking on you because you're here, <laughs> is, is um, how have you or your board or your colleagues thought about how your programming and your events and the way that you interact with your community and the people that you serve might need to change with a greater awareness and, and a confrontation really with our uh, racial uh, situation at the moment? And I, and I don't know what it's like in Redlands where you are. So Well, no, we, 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 we work with um, Family Services, Boys and Girls Club, um, after-school programs like Micah House and First Start. Um, we work with the Loma Linda University and the Children's Hospital, uh, Ronald McDonald House. These are all some of our nominating agencies. We're across the board. 
with who and um, who we serve. And um, basically, when we contact one of these agencies, they're the ones that are reaching out to the kids. We also take nominations um, over our website and over social media. But um, our events have always been very diverse. And um, we, we do, and because we're serving the kids in crisis, we, we have a very diverse crowd that attends. Now, with, and it's funny you bring it up, Kev, we just talked about this this morning with one of my board members. Our presenters during our um, virtual events, we're going to be a little bit warm, even though our, e our events are very diverse, we want to make sure that we're also covering the other side of, of that, too. So um, it's that means the, the entertainers or the presenters mm -hmm. that you see right. uh, need to be we need to reflect the people that are watching. That's exactly what we've been discussing, too, and um, and, and working on. Um, and we have access to that, too. Um, it's just, you know, I'm this whole diversity thing is hitting me in a way that I didn't expect because I didn't really is forcing me to think that I have to think diverse, where I've always thought that I was diverse. You know what I'm saying when I say I, that? I know exactly what you mean. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I never had a problem being diverse, but now I'm being more, I don't want to say mindful of it, because I've always felt I was, and that our nonprofit was. But um, I, well, I guess we discussed... now it's more appearance if people see yeah. us as that. I, I think I, I think we've raised the we have to raise the bar around intentionality mm -hmm. and and being deliberate and it's it's uh, I think for uh, white people is recognizing that not being racist is no longer adequate <laughs> that you have to be actually raise that bar to be deliberately and intentionally anti-racist in order to make the sort of differences that we are looking to see. And I don't think that's a bad thing because it sets a good example out beyond. I mean, um, people will do what they see and so, or what they've been influenced by. And um, I just think people have to not see, you know, that and just know that as long, we just need to show love and love on all levels. And um, I'm thankful that we've been, I feel that we've been known for that with our mission. Well, it's it is going to be a learning curve, as you said, and I think the uh, we're all going to be making mistakes along the way. But I think that's part of being intentional uh, and and looking for innovation and and differences in the way that we've done things in the past. And some of those things will work, and some of those things won't. And so we need the uh, um, the space to try new things and see what works and and what doesn't, and 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 share that. Uh, Kay, have, have you um, picked up something that you might be able to put into practice here? I like several things, several several um, things that Diane said, and she and how they were able to turn their events. Um, I like I actually like everything that she said. I was trying to go through my notes and pick something out, but I like what she said about how they were able to turn their event their organization into more of like a program type of deal for, for the funders and how they were able to um, just adjust to what was needed to be done for the organization. And um, cause for me, I would just wouldn't know like what to do. I would be so afraid 
you know, with something like that? Because like, what would you do? I don't know. But just listening to her and just prepare, just being prepared and having the people on your team that are able to, you know, um, with experience and are able to turn things around in a positive way like they did in such a short amount of time. Hey, do you have a board? You know, I do now. I've wrestled with this for about a year because I did not. And I, you know, I am picky because I just don't want to have anybody there, but I do now. So, um, and I was just, when she was talking, I'm thinking, I wonder if they, <laughs> I have some questions to ask them now that I've heard her talk. Like, are you, do you have any experience in this? Do you have experience in that? So like, I, I'm, I have a new set of questions to ask them now listening to her. So I'm just so thankful she was here on this call. <laughs> Yeah, lean, lean on your board. Um, they want to and need to step up and help you. Um, yeah. it's, it's really important. I have a friend that has a nonprofit organization, and she has taught me how to not run an organization, you know, because she has, like, all her friends on there. They don't do anything. <laughs> um, there's just sometimes she can't find them, and she does everything by herself, and now she's stressed out, and now she doesn't have the organization. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I just can't, I, you, you, you need, a, you need help. And I can't help because I don't know her, but like, I have some things to give her now. Hey, one of my um, philosophies in starting this, cause I've worked with nonprofits for over 30 years is that um, we will do more as we receive more. And that can go for all levels from finances to volunteers, to how you run your program. And um, it's literally a prayer of mine too, but it's amazing mm -hmm. how that happens. And, um, you know, if people know that's your heart, they rise up. And right. so that's something to keep in mind. Right. I also wanted to tell you the um, after school outreach program I've worked for for 14 years. I'm very proud of them. Um, they've gone virtual too with their program. And it's mm -hmm. something um, you might want to check out. It's called MICA. M-I-C-A-H, Micah House. M-I-C-A-H, okay. And it's here in Redlands. In fact, this week, they just started um, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they do a virtual lesson for their kids. Oh. And um, it's just a, a way that they're continuing to stay um, connected to the children that they serve. So awesome. some good ideas are going on there, too, and I'm very proud of what they're doing. It sounds like innovation is the key here is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. But you do need that broad uh, range of support. So being an yes. executive director, voluntary or paid, is, is often a lonely role at the best of times. Uh, what, what we've been able to cover uh, through, through this series in one way or another is that uh, when it comes to the board's uh, uh, family ties and friendships are optional. <laughs> you you oh, hope yes. that your board member is, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you could be friends with them, but that's certainly not the the best criteria to to select them. And and that uh, recruiting and onboarding mm -hmm. uh, board members is a uh, is a vital piece. And the relationship between the board chair and the executive director is, yes. is one of the most important success factors uh, of a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. I have tons of books on the on that on that very <laughs> issue. <laughs> well, and Kevin, you said that these um, programs have been recorded. Yes, yeah, the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast is available wherever you get podcasts, so you can well, listen to them all. I I can't recommend listening to those 
enough. In fact, mm -hmm. I started after I started listening to him. I do this every Wednesday at 10 and I have my board meeting on Wednesdays at two. And that was our COVID um, solution was I said, that's how much I needed my board through this was I go, wow. this is a, a week by week thing right now. Mm -hmm. We need to meet weekly. And they were willing <laughs> to do it. And our board is small, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they have been willing to do it. And then I take what I learned at 10 and we talk about it and discuss it as a board. And that I think has grown my board even more so too. One, one yeah. thing that that reminds me of, uh, uh, case is, 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 and why that's a good practice, Diana, is that regular cadence. There's so much noise. There's so much things going on that if your board knows that there's a particular time in your case, 2 p.m. Wednesday, uh, that they know they will come together and review the material, then it saves them having to worry about it, trying to keep up to date uh, as things come into their inbox and, and, and as they scan social media and trying to stay up to date all the time, they have that focused time to, to work through some of those issues. And that makes a big difference in, in keeping them engaged. And I know it's going to go back to how it used to be here soon because we are stabilizing. Mm -hmm. But um, it was basically like recreating our nonprofit in a sense. Right. We stayed within our mission, but we had to pivot and make the changes to still stay out there. Being such a small nonprofit in a town that has many nonprofits, right. um, I still... If I would have known what I know now five years ago, I don't know if I would have had the nerve <laughs> to start a nonprofit, um, even though I worked for them for all those years. But um, uh oh, but it's it's changed. Julie, I wanted to uh, ask you what you're uh, hearing on the uh, on the grapevine, as it were, about um, where folks are thinking with regard to. Uh, adopting some of these COVID changes long-term for programs and services and, and, and then folding in uh, greater intentionality around racial equity. How do you anticipate grant makers are going to expect to see language or uh, uh, ideas or experimentation along those two lines in a way that uh, might help Kay as she's trying to pre uh, prepare some grants for her programming? So I think there's a lot of unknowns, certainly. I think the, the one big takeaway is, you know, this whole sort of pivoting and temporarily, it's not temporary. <laughs> and I think some of that's going to be positive. You know, Diana, there may be things that you have taken, you know, there may be a family who can't physically get to where you are and you can broaden your reach because you're able to do some things virtually. So I think that those are going to be some, I think the creativity and the innovation that was forced upon us that, you know, kind of pushed over the ledge to do things that maybe we weren't, you know, we were thinking about, but not going to, not going to go there yet because right. we play it safe a little bit and you're forced to do it. I think there's some real long-term positives out of that. I also think that we're going to see uh, boards who are, re-engaged and reinvigorated because they have had to be and sort of seeing how powerful it is and, and the difference that they can make. So I think that there's going to be some real positives. As far as what grant makers are looking for, 
I, I, I wouldn't presume to know that. Um, I think that they definitely want to see, they want to see how your board is behaving. They mm-hmm. want to see how proactive and thoughtful you are, that you're looking at scenario planning and forecasting and you're, you're, you're not trying to pretend that things are going to go back to the way they used to be because, you know, they're not going to. It's going to be a, a long-term change. Um, I think that, you know, many foundations already asked questions about your DEI policies and activities. And I think that's only going to become more significant moving forward as, as we recognize that all voices are important. And, um, you know, there may be down the road, you know, has your organization's board and staff leadership gone through specific DEI training, um, you know, whether it's local or, or national, those kind of things may may emerge over time. Mm-hmm. Right. It r- reminds me of the um, idea that it's that the um, – Pivoting and adjustment is here to stay. Uh, some years ago, uh, when um, uh, implementing performance management in a in a social service organization, a, a manager once came to me, sort of exhausted, saying, "When is this continuous improvement going to stop?" <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the that's the continuous piece, you know. So, and I and I think what we do, we we take the best of learnings. And, you know, when we know better, we do better. And so what we're, what we're learning, you know, as, a, as our staff, we didn't do virtual meetings. It just wasn't part of, of who we are. Or, you know, the ability for some folks to work from home, you know, maybe we're able to, to take those and move them forward. Right. Okay. That's, uh, th- that's useful. Uh, uh, Diana, are you seeing... Um, from your grant partners, uh, a change in perspective or attitude, or do you anticipate them greatly changing what they've asked of you in the past? Well, yes, because um, right when this started in March, that was when we started writing one of our biggest grants, um, which a grant that we have received since year one for five years that has increased each year. And so it was, it was probably more in April, um, I, I contacted the executive director of it and just checking in and, hey, we're getting ready to, you know, write our grant and get everything put together and just wanted to see with things that are going on. And I was asking her, what should we be doing or is there any changes? And basically, she told me not to write the grant, that they were helping in so many other directions in the way that our program worked that she didn't see us qualifying this time. And I just said, and I said, oh, <laughs> it was, that was, that was sad and scary. And then. And maybe sudden. Two, huh? And sudden. And sudden. Yes. And very detrimental because <laughs> it's a big part of our budget. So it was, it was like I just said, sad and scary, but also it was motivating. It was like, oh my goodness, is this the tempo now? And what do we do with this? And, um, you know. Like I said, I got that call from Hatter, and then, but then the ball stopped, started rolling. And if you could imagine with the type of um, nonprofit we are, I work with a lot of creative people. And um, we just started thinking outside of the box. And I didn't realize, well, I was very boxed in. I mean, we've been doing the, exactly the same thing for five years, um, very successfully, I would say, and as it's gone on. 
but there's always more. And I think that's something, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 soon and I didn't expect or think to be working this hard at this age and stage of my life. But with this COVID, it has pushed me to think more, you know, there's always more we can do in a different way. And our big thing is making memories and um, doing it in a magical way so that it just really impresses the soul and the heart of not only kids, but um, the parents. And, and so I just think there's more that we can do not only in our nonprofits, but in our country overall. And um, I'm, I'm trying to focus on that and then take two and a half months later, guess what? We rewrote that grant with our more in it and, and submitted it this week to that grant writer, that, excuse me, that grantor. And, and I'm what, excited and, to see what, what what's happens. Your ex, what's your anticipation of uh, how it will be received? I think they're going to be pretty happy with it because they've always loved what we've done and supported it very much so. But now, <laughs> and, um, and now we're, we're even doing more and meeting more families in this new direction. Um, I think it's going to be favored. I, I, I hope so, but I, I feel like it should be. So I, I want to, I want to, I love the way you described that doing, doing more. Um, and it's, and it seems to me you were reflecting on getting into a groove and a bit of a routine and then the shock about maybe this grant's not being renewed. So it forced you to think of more and that in some senses, uh, preceded COVID and issues around racial equity that you need to uh, address. So you're already in this format of, of questioning about more. And, and what's interesting, I think, from it, and, and why I want to raise, uh, draw attention to it for, for Kay, is that uh, it sounds to me that the way you ask that question or answer that question, Diane, around more is from the point of impact and the, the you know, how magical can these moments be for the people that we're serving rather than returning to uh, a mission statement or a vision, which has a role, but is often very broad and uh, high level and aspirational and so on, and sometimes doesn't give you the drive to answer more because everything is captured within that mission statement already. So right. you had to go from the other end uh, of impact, and mm-hmm. and that's where, uh, as we move forward over the next few months, nonprofits are going to be able to distinguish themselves from each other, those who actually deliver impact, rather than those that have the the best worded mission statement. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing that I've noticed too, which has really been wonderful for us, is how much we've been able to partner with others and pull others in um, on levels that we never did from the nonprofits that we serve to um, the corporate business, businesses that sponsor us. Um, Doing things a little different allows them to be a part. Uh, We have one, when we do our Making It Magical series, um, we have Laura's Travel here in town. They do a Thursday trivia and I started watching it and being a part because basically need something to do back a couple of weeks ago. Ended up thinking, hey, this could be something that they could do for one of our Making It Magical series. Got a hold of them. And now what they're doing is they're going to take one of our characters, like 
you know, Cinderella and wherever she's from, they're going to go visit, example, Italy, and they're a connoisseur traveling service. And so they're going to go, Cinderella, would you like to go see some museums or an art show? And then take, this is the type of um, creativeness that is going on that's pulling in. We would never have been associated with Laura's travel before this. Right. And, and now, again, you, you were able to secure that relationship and it's not a mm-hmm. transactional situation with that partner, but a relationship because you're able to articulate the impact that you're making and they want to be part of that winning team. So it's another great example of, of how uh, being really crystal clear about the impact your program and services make brings in partnerships, brings in more funding and, and more support and more ambassadors. And I think with with the times and COVID and everything, people are more open to um, listening to what you're doing and, um, and and being creative with you, you know, because they have the time right now to think through some things. And um, anytime you do anything with kids or for children, that's just a positive. And, um, you know, even like Laura's Travel, who never really does work with kids, but now all of a sudden, They'll have a, an impact with kids. Um, hey, you can do that big time with your after-school outreach program and your community. Um, it, that's that's one of the one of my favorite things I used to do when I was the um, director at Micah House. So it's and just it, been it's kind of fun. And what uh, what role has your uh, board played in uh, helping develop some of these innovations and? Uh, uh, changes to the, your programming? Um, a lot. I have one board member, um, Julie Carey. She's our graphic designer, and, and um, she's been feeding me all kinds of ideas on an ongoing basis. In fact, yesterday she connected me with a, a monarch butterfly lady, and she's going to do one of our Making It Magicals, and she's from Orange. Um, she also is a follower of the Pay It Forward author, and is going to connect me with her to see if she would like to do um, a, a making it magical series. And so everybody is basically, I've always been the person that no one's been safe around in a sense. If I meet you, I go, Hey, what about this? Or you do that? Or how can this work? I, I'm infusing that into my board and my volunteers and they're rising up. And, and the thing about it is, is that when they give you that suggestion and you follow through, that infuses them to do more. <laughs> and so um, it's become almost now a normal thing for all of us. It's, we're all looking out for ways, diverse ways to continue to reach kids um, during this hard time. Julie, I bet that's music to your ears, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think we're, we're seeing that. People want to make a difference. People, and, and when you can be very specific and say, this is the challenge. This is what I need help with. It makes it so much easier. A, a general call to help, you know, you can sometimes get a, a good response, but when you can be very specific, mm-hmm. whether it's to your board members or to potential partners or folks in the community who can help, that makes a big difference. So we've, we've spoken a lot, Julie, about uh, recruiting, recruiting board members and onboarding them with clear expectations around fundraising, for example, and trying to look at the board uh, and its succession planning so that you have that balance of talents and support. So someone who's uh, 
uh, has expertise in finance or marketing or advertising or uh, various elements that we've listed before. How do you capture this notion that Diana's reflected around creativity and taking the initiative and thinking outside of the box? And how do you capture that? It's not necessarily a, a, a criterion that most people associate with being on a nonprofit board, but we're going to see a, a greater demand for that. How would you recommend people think about that in terms of board recruitment or try to encourage that amongst the board members they already have? So as far as encouraging it in board members, it really needs to come from your board chair. You know, the board chair needs to be that example, as Kev said before, that partnership's so important. And so having the board chair who is going to step out there and say, hey, team, we've all got to step up. We need your, you know, Diana needs your help. Kay needs your help. And, you know, helping advance this work, really giving that call to action. And, and then having a board development or governance committee that's holding each other responsible. Sometimes it's giving ideas. You know, these are a few ways that you might be able to help. Let us know if you can help in any of these ways or if you have other ideas. Even at board meetings, giving examples of how someone has contributed can get the wheels turning in other board members' minds to say, oh, I could do that. I could, you know, put up flyers at the library or I could, you know, invite some folks to a, a virtual event. Uh, giving those examples. And or having the board members themselves say, here's something that I did. You know, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. I really felt like I could make a difference. It's something I already know how to do. That helps it come alive. And there, there is the received wisdom, isn't there, that uh, being on a nonprofit board is that, you know, a quarterly meeting, maybe a, a committee uh, appointment, there's a couple of events a year, and so on. And it's sort of floating at the higher uh, level away from the programs and services on the ground. And I think this is an interesting development in the sense that we're, we're, we're drawing our board members closer and closer to what programs and services are there for, what they're trying to do, the impact they're trying to make, uh, and, and, and asking them to, to reach in and think creatively about how some of those programs and services uh, might be different. Do you anticipate there'll be much pushback from that or that it, in, in the sense that it's not what board members necessarily have expected to do and they might say, I just don't know about the, you know, this is, I always leave that to the experts. I'm here to help raise some money and, you know, sell tickets to the event. Um, how, wh where, where are we there? How, how quickly we'll be able to move to, you know, perhaps a more um, tactile uh, board member and board experience? I think it's always important for board members to have a pulse on what you're doing, how you're doing it, first of all, so that they can repeat that story out in the community and, and advocate and, and be an ambassador for what you do. I think the, the creativity and the little more hands-on, um, I don't know how long that will last, if that will be just sort of the, the new normal, but you need, you need it all. You need the folks who are going to be deep into the scenario planning and, you know, and, and into every aspect of the finances. And you need folks who are going to be, you know, the support on the, on the other end of the phone when you have an HR question. So you need that whole spectrum. And there are always going to be board members who maybe have 
more time and more availability to, to be a bit more hands-on. And I think it is, it is important that you clarify, you know, if they're going to help with a program in a, in a deeper way, that's a different volunteer role than, than their board governance responsibilities. And so it might be fine to have all of it, but you just need to clarify what, what, you know, what hat you're putting on right now. Right, right. And, the, and, and I guess the other element is that board members, if they don't feel uh, able or willing to contribute to that creativity when it comes to programs and services, uh, maybe their, op- their contribution is making connections for the ED or the program director to, to, to do that. Uh, and so thinking not just that their connections are there for potential donors, but potential partnerships on a programmatic level. Absolutely. And then even, you know, if you go deeper and you collaborate on a program or you think about a merger or a strategic alliance, the board is is how that's going to happen or not happen, uh, that it really requires their participation, their leading the charge to, to work through those opportunities. That's great. It, Diana, do you find that your board is able to uh, pick up the the phone or, or send an email to help with some of those partners? Um, yes, they are. Um, we, we have a, a, the board and then an advisory group too. And so kind of, I've split it up into two levels. Um, just, I have a, a small board that is like my core and then we have our support board and, and doing that, for our organization has been helpful in a sense because um, I can kind of divide and conquer a little bit easier like that. And and basically place people in the level that they best suit. Um, And then my philosophy for volunteers, because boards are volunteer, is that um, always to have to, in order to have a happy volunteer, you first ask them what their delight is and what their gifts are. And then I try to place them in those areas because that way when I have a happy volunteer or happy board member, happy, happy advisory member, um, it just seems to work better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, there's some people that there's no way I would ever ask them to try to help me raise money, but they would be the first one to, you know, do all the other stuff someone else wouldn't do. And so knowing people and their personalities is, is what I feel a very key issue in board direction and building. And, um, you know, there have been times that things change in people's lives through different stages and just be mindful of that too. Um, almost having this tier setup allows that to not make it so, um, I think I, I'm trying to choose my words wisely. Yeah. But I understand <laughs> but, that that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, um, a useful model to, to manage, mm-hmm. as you said, the, the uh, delights and the gifts. Uh, mm-hmm. Kate, Kate yeah. have you, have you um, been able to identify, you think, the, the delights and the gifts of your board members or potential board members? You know what? I was listening to her. As she was talking, I was thinking. And I just, you know, I just said the same thing. And there, I have. And, you know, that's a good idea. I didn't think about that. But there is one. There's a lady that she has a lot of time. She calls me all the time. So she has a lot of time. 
And she's very good at, she's not really good at like bookkeeping and things like that, but she knows a lot of people and she would be good with like um, marketing and, and like getting a word out about fundraising and like her events. She knows everybody that knows, she knows everyone. So like, she's like a good mouthpiece for an organization. And there's some, you know, God has blessed me with wonderful people. Like I have a retired school teacher that is willing to be on the board. I was like, oh, you really? Okay. You know, I don't really know anything, right? She's like, yeah, but you know, I like your enthusiasm and you sound very, um, like, like you're passionate is what she told me. She said, so I liked it. And I was like, oh my God. So the board is awesome. And, um, so, you know, well, I haven't really worked with them, but so far they seem like they're going to be awesome. They know a lot, which is good. Um, and I know how important, listening to you guys talk, I see how important it is, you know, to have the right people and really understanding what we're doing and servicing, you know, the community and just being, doing what we said we're going to do. So that, all that is just really, really important. And it's good to know. And like, I have learned a lot of different point as learn pointers that I really would need to incorporate like soon as possible. Well, a, good, a, a good board uh, accelerates your ability to, to drive impact and a, and a board with problems slows it down <laughs> because you're spending all yeah. your time resolving those problems. Uh, <laughs> so you don't have people that can help you uh, resolve them or, or um, are, are all swimming in the same direction. Uh, mm -hmm. It becomes very difficult to get your programs and services working and lined up in the way that you want them to be. And I think, Kevin, that's kind of been um, a confirmation for myself during this time is when we have to make a change and do some drastic redeveloping, it, it hasn't been a chore. It's been a delight. And I contribute that to the people that we have been blessed to have amongst Mansion Memories. It's, it's just really been good. And I just want to say one more thing. I'm not always the most confident in this position because I didn't go to school for it. I didn't have training. In fact, I call this my training. But to sit alongside you guys today and, and talk and discuss and actually have you confirm some things that we do with Mansion Memories, huge. And <laughs> I thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I, I uh, applaud your willingness to learn as you go. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's something that's the only way, really, to, um, to improve and to make things better. You have to be conscious of what you're doing and, and whether it's working and, and make those adjustments. So uh, I want to thank everyone on the call today. It's been fantastic conversation in the absence of a panel. Maybe a model for me to be thinking about going forward. <laughs> but I, I want to thank you for your uh, openness and your contributions and your willingness to uh, share at quite a, a level of detail that we're not normally afforded when we have a, a panel of experts. So I want to thank you very much. Yes, I'm thankful too, because if you had not, if you hadn't had a panel, I would not have opened my mouth. I wouldn't have asked, but because you asked me, <laughs> and I'm glad we did talk. And I learned, oh my God, in an hour, I had my page, I had two pages of notes. Uh, well, well, thanks everyone. I appreciate uh, your participation today on Nonprofit Problem Solver. The podcast will be available in the next few days. And we are here every Wednesday at one next week. It's uh marketing and fundraising, which is always a high energy off the hook conversation. Uh, and I'm sure we will have a, another one. So I hope to see you then. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the nonprofit problem solver podcast. 
In the absence of a panel, I'm grateful for contributions from Julie Clark and Diane Lawson and producer Glenn Munoz from PodPro Audio. You can join Future Conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You're also invited to join a private Facebook group, Social Impact Practitioner, where every day we go deep into the practical and tactical work to accelerate your impact. Because good causes deserve better results.